when you're within something that's so remarkable and unusual in human history, unless you have a good sense of the past, which of course is partly what people have lost because the, the West mm -hmm. isn't being talked about, then, then you just take it for granted. And people don't understand that they are, they are soaring at the branch that they are sitting on that is <laughs> very, very high up the tree. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Mark Sidwell, filmmaker, journalist and director of research at the Henry Jackson Society. Mark made a series of documentaries celebrating the history, achievements and genius of Western civilization. The West is about crazy inventions that take you into the future and keep that spirit alive. Uh, it lives by moving and inventing. And I think there's you know, great uh, encouragement in seeing the things that are going on with AI now. That, that seems to me the kind, of, the kind of thing that the West is all about embracing. He says despite threats from both within and authoritarian powers, the heyday of the West is not over yet. The West is actually very strong. It has this tremendous capacity to reinvent itself. It's militarily strong, it's economically strong. In a moment of test, it comes together and, and it wins through, often at the last moment, often with difficulty. I think Putin is getting a very nasty surprise in Ukraine. He has discovered that he thought the West was very divided and distracted by this culture war, and it's just going to roll over. And it really hasn't done that. I'm Lee Hall. This is British Thought Leaders. Mark Sidwell, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Lee. You made an incredible documentary series for New Culture Forum. It's called The Genius of Western Civilization. Could you talk us through what are the values of Western civilization that you wanted to celebrate and, and why they should be celebrated? Absolutely. So, so something I wanted to say is that really this would have been very mainstream not so long ago, within my lifetime, certainly about 20 years ago. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, the BBC was making documentaries about you know, the, uh, the triumph of the West. But the idea of the West as an idea has, has sort of fallen out of mainstream thought. And I, I felt that was very dangerous. Uh, and it, it really created a sort of vacuum. And the ideas of the West that were really being celebrated in that tradition that, that as I say, has only gone away quite recently, was, was the exceptional nature of the West, which really is quite different to a traditional civilization. So if we think about tr traditional civilization, which we're perhaps thinking about uh, something that values stability and continuity above everything else, it, it uh, might often be imperial. It tends towards centralized control. Uh, the West was very different. It was really born out of the fall of the Roman Empire, out of its collapse into, into many pieces. And so uh, the West is somewhere that never really fell under centralized control. It's a place where ideas are debated, where nations fight with one another. It's right. fractious and competitive. And out of that, partly because of its Christian roots, it has a, a deep respect for the individual as well, rather than sort of one central figure. It sort of liberates all kinds of conditions of people, often very imperfectly, but that's the direction it's always moved in and the way that its values have taken it. And that, that sense of equality and that opportunity for all has sort of developed over time into the, the spirit of rule of law, where everyone is under the same uh, law. And that combination of, of an equal rule of law, of opportunity for all, that openness, that, that space where crazy new ideas can be fought for, has also made it tremendously innovative uh, inventive, uh, creating tremendous scientific innovations, but uh, cultural innovations as well, artistic innovations, innovations in, in every area of life. In many ways, the West has become a sort of, you know, this great adventure in human history, and yet, yet somehow 
it's now become impossible to talk about, or if it's talked about as only in apologetic terms to say, well, that was, it's really rather bad and, and we're sorry that we're part of this. In, in the documentary, you're in kind of various capitals of Western culture, if you like, Britain and then Italy, etc. Do you think the spirit of competition between those great nations was something that, that drove the West to greatness? Absolutely. And one of the things about that competition is that it meant that there was no one who could say no. So, so for example, um, by contrast, for example, uh, in China, when they had the, the great treasure voyages, China had its sort of opportunity when it could have moved out into the world, but that was, it was under imperial control. So when the court said, well, we're not going to do that anymore, all the ships were shut down. Right, right. In the West, Columbus actually went to many different monarchs and said, well, look, I've got this, this mad idea, and it, it was a mad idea, to, to sail across, uh, he thought he was going to China. Uh, and, and it so happened that Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain said yes, but in fact the, the king in England said yes as well. It's just that they got there first. So there was, always, there was always another option. It wasn't really possible for things to be closed down in the same way. So there's no hamper to kind of say no to everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. You, you talk about the West being under attack. Mm. I wanted to explore this a bit. Uh, who is the West under attack from? I think it's two vectors, really. There's, there's a vector from without and there's a vector from within. From without, we see people coming from more conventional civilizational traditions wanting to sort of stand against the, the sort of the Western power that it, that it has. And obviously, in particular these days, that's, that's Russia and China making a strong alliance together. And it, it's, it's ironic, really, because they're often using the language of sort of anti-Westernism, which is anti-colonial and talks about, oh, the West is this terrible oppressive entity, but they're actually often doing it in favour of rather imperialistic violent schemes where they're about to sort of take over other countries in a way that the, the Western rules-based order doesn't approve of. But that in itself isn't the real problem on its own, though that's certainly very serious. The problem is at the same time as a, there are these forces from without saying, well, actually, maybe we want to push against this Western way of doing things. Mm -hmm. There's an inner struggle going on where there are very influential, very, very thoughtful people in the West who are saying, well, actually, we don't like this tradition that we have. We don't like who we are. We think actually it's very bad and are tearing it down from within. And that, I think, is a, is a real danger because once you have that, once you start to lose that confidence in yourself, these things can become battles of will, I think. Mm. President Reagan, Mrs. Thatcher understood that in the Cold War. And if you start to lose that, that battle for will, then you may start losing the larger battle for, for control of the world. Um, so uh, this uh, battle from within... Do you think that the people behind it have kind of considered what life would be like without all the benefits of the West? I, I think definitely not. You know, when you're within something that's so remarkable and unusual in human history, unless you have a good sense of the past, which of course is partly what people have lost because the, the West mm -hmm. isn't being talked about, then, then you just take it for granted. And people don't understand that they are, they are soaring at the branch that they are sitting on that is very, very high up the tree in, in remarkable ways. And you know, some of those ways really are remarkable and are more to do with, with comfort and, and you know, economic wealth, uh, modern medicine, scientific intervention, uh, the freedoms that are open to very ordinary uh, people all across society. All of those things are really exceptional in human history. The, the, the absence of, of slavery really across most of the world now thanks to the West. All of those things. But at the centre of it too is an exceptional way of life that puts tremendous emphasis on, on the inner life of every person in the West. So the Western idea is really about each of us 
matters and has a self-directed quest that we are the hero of in our lives, and that is what the driving force of our lives is, not responsibilities to the emperor or to society or to the nation or to family, all the things that, that constrain people in, in other social uh, traditions. But the West is very much about that, that life inside yourself, and that's the thing that people don't realise they'll lose. A lot of the, you know, the, the social justice warriors or the, the activists who are complaining about the West the most these days are really, in that sense, they don't understand how Western they are because they're very individualistic. They're out being a warrior for a cause, but this is it's a very Western way of being. And the tragedy of them, I think, is that, is that you know, they haven't been told that they are part of this great and amazing tradition and there they are, tearing down all the institutions that we spent centuries building up, the sort of objectivity and meritocracy and freedom of speech, the things that, that really elevate it and allow it to be as great as it is. This idea of uh, individualism that you're saying is a quite unique thing for the West. I think it's also a bit of a problem for the West because it seems to be celebrated so much now that people don't really have many thought for much else apart from themselves. <laughs> It's possibly true. I mean, the West has this, this enormous challenge. It, it, it's a tradition, but it's a tradition of change and it's a tradition, and it's a tradition of individualism. Mm -hmm. and, and reconciling those contradictions is always its most difficult challenge. In ways that also makes it look weaker than I think it actually is. Right. But, it, but it's, its weakness, which are these divisions and these sort of selfishness, also means that when it's under stress, when the chips are down, it's tremendously inventive, it's tremendously able to bring in new talent and new ideas to reshape itself, to repair itself. And that's what it has over, you know, more sort of united cultural forces that might have a more common goal or more responsibility. But, of course, until that moment comes, everyone's busy doing, the, doing their own thing. So it can be only, only at the last moment. Uh, and the idea of the West, at least in part what that is, is something that if we talk about that, we have something we can unite our individual purposes around. We can say, well, you know, we all have our different quests in life, but we would quite like to live in a democratic system. We would quite like to live under, you know, meritocratic opportunity. We would quite like to have freedom of speech. And then you stand up for those things. And this, you know, brings people together. It brought people together in the Cold War. It brought people together against fascism. There was a very important early book by uh, someone called R.L. Kolnai, talking about the Nazis, and, and he talked about it explicitly in terms of how anti-Western they were, how this alien tradition was, was tearing down Western values and that the Western world needed to unite, all these different nations needed to come together to fight something that was completely hostile to their way, way of life. And, and so we need that understanding of ourselves mm. as a, a sort of defence mechanism against the, these threats. We've got really the the freest, healthiest, wealthiest society in, mm. in world history here. Um, but we're at the point where people in that society are, are attacking it. Mm. Um, what, what do you feel are the kind of failings of Western society or Western mindsets that kind of have allowed this to happen? I think, in a way, it, it sort of happened in an absence of mind, or it started with one, which is that it started at the end of the Cold War. That had been won. And, and some people at least thought, well, we don't have to worry about this idea of the West anymore. We don't really have an enemy. We can go our own ways. And perhaps it's more inclusive. We'll just sort of think about modernization. Everyone's going to get rich with capitalism. We kind of won these arguments. 
we'll talk about modernization instead. We'll have industrialization, we'll have capitalism, countries will, will grow their economies, and they don't have to worry about Western values. But that, I think, was, was very naive. I think we see in China, to some extent, in Russia, perhaps in India as well these days, that the countries can modernize, become quite wealthy and industrial, but they can have very anti-Western attitudes mm -hmm. and values, and those things are not incompatible at all. So we needed to defend those ideas, uh, those Western ideas as well, and we didn't recognize that. And at that then created space for people who criticized those Western values to come in and make their arguments. And you know, the West, because it is so divided and, and so self-critical, uh, has tremendous space for these sorts of arguments yeah. to grow, and of course that can be a danger. And, and there was a certain set of arguments that really came out of uh, the Cold War, it came out of the sort of the New Left in the 1970s that saw Western society as really quite dangerous, as a, as a kind of proto-fascism waiting to turn into totalitarianism, not into the, the bulwark against totalitarianism that, that I think it really is. And those arguments started to take over, and they started to take over in the universities, particularly in America, and it spread and it spread, and, and people became seduced by what seemed like a sort of an open idea about, well, we have to recognize our flaws and the bad things, but were really fundamentally ideas about a society that was rotten to the core and needed to be torn down. And those have been allowed to spread and replace in the absence of this Western narrative, which really was the sort of celebration of the liberal tradition that the West had created and had come to, to victory against Nazism and against uh, Soviet communism, and that, that narrative just went out of the equation and suddenly there was space in which this, this counter-narrative became dominant. Do you think it's a case of um, life is maybe a bit too easy and without <laughs> hardship people let their guard down? Or... A little bit, a little bit. I think, yes, the, when the West isn't, isn't tested, people have room for crazy ideas and those crazy ideas, you know, are, are part of the secret power of the West, so even at, at its weakest, it holds the strength to recover. But in these periods when people don't see the threat, they can, they can get diverted in these ways. And, you know, it, it, it can be a slow road back. I think it's quite hard for, for ideas to change, but, but it's ideas at the top, really, that, that, that do need to change. I think if you look at the vast swathe of people in, in Britain, in America, in you know, the Anglosphere, in Europe, plenty of people love these ideas, you know, these ideas about, about freedom of, of speech and, and liberalism and meritocracy and opportunity for all and taking charge of their own lives. Of the West itself, people like the idea of being proud of these traditions. They understand that they've been imperfect, but they also want to be proud. I think there's, there's tremendous appetite for that, but at the, at the top it's become unacceptable to say. And that's really why we made the, the series, because the series is because now with technology, it's on YouTube, it can get around mm -hmm. the, the sort of the, the gatekeepers at the top. The BBC simply wouldn't make this now. They'd think it was mm, socially unacceptable, uh, maybe not inclusive enough. Uh, but you can get around that now and, and hopefully find an audience and reach that very large number of people who, you know, who do want to hear this. Mm. We've had various people on the show talking about the culture wars and uh, fighting to conserve the things mm -hmm. they think are good. Uh, you wrote a book called uh, The Long March, How the Left Won the Culture War. Uh, I'd like to ask you, do you feel the culture wars are finished? Uh, 
not finished, but I, I do feel that the culture war itself, the big culture war that had been going on perhaps since the 60s, has in important ways been won. Won for the, for the radical ideas of the left, the kind of anti-Western ideas. That doesn't mean that it's impossible to fight, but the fight is more like an insurgency rather than, than an ongoing war. I, right. I think the commanding heights of intellectual culture have really been captured by these ideas, not necessarily forever, but, but for now. And so that, I think, though, you know, in some ways, uh, victory is a kind of vulnerability. If you accept that and you stand, stand back and you say, OK, we can fight in certain ways. We have to think tactically and maybe there are some more insurgent things we can do. But otherwise, it's a long, it's a long battle back. You've got to think about how you win back those heights of the culture. And that can always be done. These things take place, though, over long timescales. Uh, the free market ideas that, that powered you know, the Reagan revolution in America, uh, Mrs. Thatcher in the UK, those took decades. They were really sort of developed over decades from the 50s or so. Uh, the, the ideas of the Fabians that brought more socialist ideas into Britain after the, the Second World War had been developing since the late mm -hmm. 19th century. The ideas that have now won in the, in the culture war, I would say, or, or won temporarily, perhaps, uh, again, were developing since the 60s and, and, the, and the 70s. So, that, so people need to think on, on longer timescales once you accept that, that maybe a, a big victory has been won for, for a different side. The Long March you're referring to as the, the ascent of Mao to power, the mm. worst dictator we've had, really, and the, the rise of communism in China. Mm. But how has the Long March, it's obviously take, been a lot longer here in <laughs> terms of time. How, how has it kind of manifested here? Well, so the Long March is an idea that... Uh, was named by a German revolutionary in 1968 called Rudi Deutschke, and he was talking about a different kind of path, this sort of slow motion path that I've been talking about to cultural power to, to get a revolution. So he was saying, instead of fighting on the streets and going for a violent revolution, you would, you would work slowly inside the society's institutions and you would take them over with people who understood what the revolution was about and, and had that revolutionary attitude. And when you had that sort of control, then you could get uh, a revolution. And, and that idea was then taken up uh, by the new left, particularly in America, by, by Herbert Marcuse. Mm. Uh, and the idea there became, well, let, let's bring a lot of Marxist professors into universities. Uh, and, and there was a lot of interest in this idea of sort of slow enculturation of, of uh, the major institutions in society for a different stream of ideas so that you might eventually get uh, a revolution. Now, you can stand back today, and I think what you do see is that all of Britain's institutional power, whether it's in the BBC or the civil service or, you know, in schools, in, in lots of areas, really is, is quite culturally captured by, by quite left-wing uh, ideas. I, I don't think there's uh, a natural line that you can draw from one to the other, but it's easy to look back and say, well, did something like that happen? I, I talk about the history in my book, and I think it's much more complicated and contingent as, as to how we got there. There were certainly people who wanted uh, to push it that way. Mm. But, but whether or not, however we got here, I think that is now what has happened, a kind of long march, even if not so much a, a deliberate and conspiratorial one, where where power has has shifted into in more left-wing, more sort of uh, anti-Western, if you like, directions. And that creates a real challenge, because if all these uh, powerful institutions have a certain way of looking at the world, they find it very hard to see it any other way. And even if lots of people disagree with that or don't like it, 
institutions at the top set, set that agenda. Mm. So I think that's where we, we find ourselves. Uh, and it creates a kind of political deadlock as well. The Conservatives have been able to, to rise on that to power in the UK a little bit fighting against it, but then they haven't been able to do very much in power, partly because they don't have a lot of institutional support behind them. Labour find it quite hard to get into power because some of these ideas aren't very popular in the country. We shall see. Maybe the UK is about to see uh, a Labour government that is quite taken with these ideas in power. We will see how that plays out. This is waiting to see, though, because the West, as I've said, is very. There's always space where it, there's someone coming up with a crazy idea on the side. There's space for that. Lots of lots of different pockets of power within it. So it's where some form of resistance bubbles up in ways that can make a difference. It's very interesting to see people like like Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, a kind of new sort of uh, merchant opposition to to what's sometimes called the Brahmin left people who are connected to money-making and, and company-building and, and, in Elon Musk's case, innovation and invention as well, space travel and driverless cars, all of that. These are people who understand what it really takes to make things happen in the world, and that forces them against sort of more ideological, idealistic ideas that have rather taken root, that, that aren't so connected to, to how you make things happen. And I think that, that may provide a, a space in which a sort of pushback against that, that long march starts to happen. Right. And so I mean, with regards to this internal threat, what do you feel can be done at least to start to push back? Yeah. I, I think the important thing is that we need to acknowledge and embrace this idea of the West and understand that it's actually, it's really a very inclusive idea. This isn't something that it's spoken of as something that we can't talk about because it's exclusive. It excludes people who weren't born here or it excludes people who were oppressed by the West in some way. I, I don't think that's true. The West, as an idea, is full of imperfection, but it's more focused on where it's going. It's been capable of repairing the most grievous things that it's done. You know, it's ending its empires, uh, ending slavery, not just within its own territories, but everywhere it could in the world, getting largely rid of a, of a scourge that had been a scourge to all of mankind uh, in, in all empires everywhere. Uh, and it's always focused on going in a, in a direction towards the future and towards liberating more individuals. You know, that idea of equality, of taking the individual morally seriously at its core is something that, that welcomes everyone and is something that people can get behind. Uh, but I think it's very important we don't put the West under glass. You know, you can't save it by treating it as a sort of museum piece to be preserved. Uh, it's a, Walter Russell Mead said somewhere that it we are building a space rocket. We are not building a, a rest home. You know, the, the West is not, like I say, more conventional civilizations are about continuity and stability. The West is about crazy inventions that take you into the future and keep that spirit alive. Uh, it lives by moving and inventing. And I think there's you know, great uh, encouragement in seeing the things that are going on with AI now. That, that seems to me the kind, of, the kind of thing that the West is all about embracing. I don't know that anywhere else would have had the same appetite to do things like uh, have the printing press, which was tremendously destructive in certain ways, right? I mean, you could argue that the wars of religion, which caused terrible problems in Europe, were partly born out of the, the intellectual disruption that comes from suddenly being able to disseminate pamphlets and knowledge in that way. But the West is a place where we take that risk and we, we step into the unknown. And that, that seems to me just 
a thrilling story that isn't exclusive and, and everyone can want to be part of and be, be proud of and try and make even better. Mm. And, and that, I think, just, just selling the wonder and the promise of that story, is, it's, it's why I made the series and, and I really do think that, it, that it's still a story people want to hear today. I really enjoyed the, the episode where you're talking about inventions and things and patents didn't exist and then they invented patents and everyone suddenly realised I can have an idea and I can make it mine and I can make money off it and it encouraged the competition and people were inventing better and better things. Absolutely, you know, it, and it's a you know part of the Italian Renaissance which people don't think of, people think of the art or whatever and they don't see the institutional part of it. It was Brunelleschi building the, the dome of Florence Cathedral, you know, the first or the, the greatest post-classical dome for, for centuries was also the person who got the world's first patent, not, not for the, the dome, but for um, a boat that could bring marble blocks along the, the river into Florence yeah. uh, better. It actually wasn't a very good invention, it, it, it sank, but uh, it, the invention of the, the idea of the patent itself was, was a very powerful one because suddenly, as you say, inventors could invent in, and share their ideas in the confidence that they were going to be paid and they could still make money from it before mm. that inventions which were you know somewhat rare anyway invention always needs encouragement but they had to be sort of hidden away and and you know that that invention of law makes a difference and law is one thing that that i really took away from working on the series how much law is at the heart of the west you know it, it's in our culture as well it's in our drama from like shakespeare in merchant of venice the great trial scene to all of the the great films that we enjoy nowadays of John Grisham or whatever to mm. to the political dramas that, that, that we follow in real life, you know, as, as Donald Trump being indicted, whatever. The West fights about itself and dreams about itself in a, in a courtroom. And that's because law, that place that we're all under the same law, but, but have the same opportunities as a result is, is very, very central to the way that we work. And I don't, I, I hadn't appreciated quite how important it was myself. And, mm. uh, so that was, that was a real pleasure for me to engage with. You know, the same thing happened to me. We had Anna Lutfi on the show, yeah. who is a human rights barrister, and she was talking about how law kind of progressed in this country. And mm -hmm. rather than like, here's a rule book, you have to follow all these laws, we have precedent. Yeah. And this happens, and then we look at what happened last time and, and base on that. And it's it, very inspiring to hear and, and think about that system. Absolutely. And, you know, that goes to, to the idea of the West as kind of a a heritage, the, this amazing system of common law and precedent that sort of grows uh, like a coral over time and stretches back across the centuries. But the West is, is like that too. It's not just some top-down abstract principle that someone came up with. It's, it's an ongoing story, it's an ongoing adventure that dates all the way back, well, at least to the fall of Rome. That's where I really see it as beginning, but of course learning from ancient Greece, learning from Rome itself learning from, from the Christian tradition and, and going forward into the future. And if it isn't connected to those roots, if it doesn't remember that it, you know, it comes from somewhere and it builds on something, uh, then I think it's in trouble as I talk about the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And of course, in, in many ways, it was sort of the template for the, for the communist revolutions as well, that, that awful idea of year zero. We're gonna restart everything. We're gonna have a reset. We're gonna throw out uh, this old civilization, that that was was toxic in a way that America, and its foundation in the sort of in the Scottish Enlightenment, in in the the the, the sort of perfection of English liberties and, and of the Western tradition, 
wasn't because it was still connected to the past. And you see, all, of course, all that neoclassical architecture in Washington, D.C., really, really speaking to that. Uh, and so people need to be grounded in the thing that they're connected to, that great thread, that great adventure, that great conversation about the past. And that's, that's the sadness for me. It's, you know, all the, these youngsters, they are, they are very Western, they're very individualistic. Mm. But they don't have a clue about, I don't know, John Locke or all these things. They just think it's a bunch of dead white men that they don't need to study. But they're part of that. And mm. it, there's some self-understanding and wisdom that comes from engaging with that tradition. I wonder um, what you think about the role that religion has played in this and the kind of move away from religion in society. Um, that was obviously very much tied into the, the rise of the West. Yeah, absolutely. I think just at the moment it's interesting to see that people are starting to take the religious roots of the West uh, much more seriously. Uh, the popular historian Tom Holland wrote a, a wonderful book, Dominion, which is really about the influence of Christianity. Um, there, there, there's some, some more academic books on, on the subject as well. Um, and I, I think they really get to something. You know, Tom Holland's point is that the Christianity, the ideals behind it have gone very, very deep into the West in ways that means we're sort of Christian without knowing it. So it's not to say that everyone needs to be uh, Christian to, to be part of the West, but that some of those ideas, particularly about the importance of the individual, the, the, the dignity of every life, uh, are things that, that go very, very deep in Western society and that those have come very much from Christianity. Also, um, the idea of choice, choice in marriage. Choice in marriage is very important to Christianity uh, and that then reshaped uh, society in many ways because suddenly everyone is choosing who they marry for themselves. It's not something that their family can impose, their society can impose. That's quite a revolutionary concept. It, in Europe, it turned out it was more the the nobles and the, the kings that found that rather rather harder to adapt to. It was a bigger fight for the, the church than, than perhaps at the lower levels. But these things really transformed our society. And, and there, there used to be, perhaps quite recently, there used to be more of a sense that, well, this is really, it's more, a lot of the West is, is uh, sort of like an enlightenment idea. It's a post-Christian idea in itself. It's more secular. But I think uh, people are more aware now uh, of, of these, these Christian roots, that it's really in the medieval period, in the period when, when Christianity is really a very important part of, of, of the landscape of the West, that, that a lot of these ideas form. Now they've come forward into a, a more universal and a liberal form. Um, so it's not that, that it's so essential for everyone to be Christian, but it is in some ways still the West is a society that's very inflected by Christianity in its, uh, in its respect for women, in its respect for the individual, uh, and in that, in that importance of choice, creating a society in which everyone chooses for themselves if they believe in God. That's fundamentally a society in which it is truly possible to be a Christian, right? That, was, that is the, without facing violence as, as, as a result. So that's, it's really, it's, very, it's a very Christian sense that, that faith is something that you choose, not, not just something you, you inherit or that is, you have to worship the Roman emperor because that's what uh, the empire says you have to do. Uh, so deep, deep Christian roots, uh, but are now, um, turning into much broader liberal principles as well, even, even for people who wouldn't think of themselves as Christian, but they're, they're, they're all very much, I think, haunted by these, the, these Christ, Christian principles.
You talked about the threats from within and you talked about the external threats. Uh, one very interesting kind of combo of these mm. was um, Putin talking about, oh, look at the West now. Uh, men don't know whether they're women and things along those lines. It's almost like he's, he's seen the uh, internal threat and he's mm -hmm. using that as, as an external threat. Yeah. Um, yeah what, what are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, the thing that it makes me think too is, is, is it's very dangerous when we look weak. It's dangerous for ourselves internally because we tear ourselves apart and mm -hmm. we don't focus on things. It's dangerous because it makes our enemies think that we're weaker than we are. Now, I think, and this series only convinced me more and more, the West is actually very strong. It has this tremendous capacity to reinvent itself. It's militarily strong. It's economically strong. In a moment of test, it comes together and, and it wins through, often at the last moment, often with difficulty. I think Putin is getting a very nasty surprise in Ukraine. He has discovered that he thought the West was very divided and distracted by this culture war, which is going to roll over. And it really hasn't done that. Even, even Germany, which had you know, great difficulties and strong ties to Russia and real problems with, with energy, has just done one of its largest military aid contributions so far in the war. There's no sign of, of Europe or of the West losing its will, of America losing its will. But they start to think that we're weaker than we are, and that creates a problem. You know, I'm sure that's true in China too. I think Xi Jinping looks at us and thinks, a bunch of, bunch of crazy divided. And that's the point at which something like the invasion of Taiwan becomes more possible. So we need, we need to focus on ourselves and get back our sense of, of why we matter and our confidence and have that self-confidence, not just because we need it internally, because if we project weakness, down the road we are going to have to fight and prove that that weakness was just a sort of temporary aberration and that is a, a terrible thing for everyone concerned. I, I think we win, but you know, these are, these are hollow victories if they're fights you don't have to have. And we only have to have them if, if we don't project confidence and strength and understanding that the Western experiment is the most exciting adventure in, in human history. It has unlocked human potential in ways that nothing else can. And Russia and China and everyone else can join in. They, it's not like they, these are very open, very universal um, discoveries, just as the discovery of the scientific method is, just as the discovery that, that an industrial economy is possible, just as the discovery of, of modern medicine. Uh, Christianity did all these things that are sort of developed in the West or brought, brought to some kind of perfection in the West. Can, can grow elsewhere, as you know, you see in Taiwan, you see in Japan, South Korea, uh, across the world these days. There are, there are ways forward that we don't, we don't have to be fighting and divided all the time, but we do need to project that, to have a sense of, of confidence in ourselves and remind people that what we have is, is worth sharing and, and you know, picking up. Mark well, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you so much.